in this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, How to Build Your Own Tools, Part 2. I am your host, Timothy D. Buck, and in this episode, we will be continuing our discussion with Chris Maddalena on how to build your own tools. So what tools or resources helped you with building out tools? Um, so for me, I... So there were actually a few books. I, I focused a lot on Python 3. That's kind of my, my go-to language for anything. Um, a while ago, uh, you know, because obviously it's it's everywhere, um, especially as it's become more part of enterprise networks, uh, you know, I've, I started forcing myself to learn more PowerShell. Um, the language I really forced myself to go learn was Ruby. Uh, so I've, I've kind of found reasons to, to learn different languages, but Python 3 is my go-to. And from, for that one, uh, like PowerShell, uh, you know, I, I've watched some videos and read up on some things. Um, and then with Ruby, that was basically all, I can do this in Python, this is how I do it in Python. I'm going to go to Stack Exchange and figure out how to do it in Ruby, <laughs> which is probably not the best way to do it. But for Python, I had a, a few different books. Uh, I was, you know, I just as a pen tester, and that was kind of my uh, jumping off point for wanting to seriously learn Python. Uh, I bought like Violent Python and Gray Hat Python um, and Black Hat Python uh, were, were three different books that I had that I, I went through and, and did some of those. I just uh, like some of their exercises. Uh, there is basically I watched and eventually grabbed one of those big humble bundles from like Snow Starch Press that had all of the. Uh, there's even a book that that's pretty good that teaches you maybe not necessarily a thing that would be super useful for uh, you know someone in the security field like just as far as automating something in their organization, but does teach you things about like classes and some basic Python concepts would just be the uh, it's called uh, automate the boring things with Python. Uh, I'll I'll look it up and I'll give you like a. a a list of some books to make sure I have the titles right. And you can maybe put it in the show notes or something. Yeah, but yeah, like though those books, uh, you know, I, I went through them. They're difficult to read. Like they're definitely not something to sit down and read. And the examples aren't always fun. That was always my problem. I know personally, just my learning style. If you're giving me a project that I don't care about, like a lot of those books, like I think that one in particular, or, or one of the no starts books, there's a whole section that's teaching how to build classes. And I was really wanting to learn how, how to make a class in Python and how to use it properly. And I think it had, the whole section was like, you're going to build a dog. You have the dog class. And then you can give the dog like a weight, a name, and a breed, you know, kind of something like that. And then, look, you can, you can make a new dog and name it and give it some characteristics. And then it, the script will print, you know, hey, Rover is 12 pounds and he's a Shih Tzu. It's, which is cool. Like, and you're going to learn the concepts, but that was so boring to me. I didn't even want to do it and I didn't. (laughs) So what I did was, was I went out and I kind of learned these concepts. I kind of learned what Python was, was capable of doing. And then I started trying to mix those in some cases, just kind of forcing myself, like, I'm going to write the script to automate this thing. I'm going to make myself use this concept. Uh, and that was my exercise rather than doing the thing out of the book, I found something I actually cared about where that concept fit. And I said, this is, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to make this job a little bit harder on myself, but I'm going to learn a new thing along the way. And that was really, really helpful for me, uh, because I was working again, working on something that I cared about. So I had incentive to get to complete it. I actually wanted to see it working. 
And even though I was kind of making myself you know, go through a, a, a tougher road to get there, it was, you know, the road full of visiting Stack Exchange and Google and, you know, trying to figure out how, why this thing wasn't working. Uh, it eventually came out um, better because it was probably more efficient, you know, uh, you know or better organized or shorter, uh, used less memory, whatever, uh, because I did it in what was probably more the more correct way uh, than just the maybe series of if loops, you know, or if checks or for loops or what have you than I might have done otherwise. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend, you know, there's tons of great resources like that out there. Um, and it's actually lots of websites that have really good tutorials on Python or, uh, I think there's, there's a book that is actually available fully online. I think it's, I think it's called learning Ruby the hard way, uh, which funny enough, uh, while it sounds daunting, it sounds like the thing you would definitely not want to do. Uh, it, I, I liked that when I looked through it, I learned some Ruby from that. Uh, because it actually matched the style I sort of just explained. It was learn Ruby by using Ruby, not by, you know, building, uh, you know, little tiny scripts and uh, a bunch of little tiny scripts using different concepts. It was actually, here's how, here's how something works in Ruby, now go use it. And I got a lot out of that when I was uh, kind of getting started figuring out how to transfer some of, you know, my thinking from Python into Ruby when I was working in that language. Yeah, I would say just do it would be would be the the thing. I guess you know, insert insert uh, the Shia LaBeouf gif and just just do it and you know, find something you actually want done and and build it in the language you want to learn. If you want to do phishing, you can do phishing in PowerShell. You can do phishing in Ruby. You can do phishing in Java if you really wanted to. I I, I think you know, maybe maybe seek a doctor if you chose Java as the language you want to learn, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, pick the language you want to learn for whatever reason, for whatever interest you have in it. You can probably almost guaranteed you can do what you want to do in that language. Even if it's not the best language for it, you'll definitely learn a lot about it, and I bet your script will work. Cool. So what would you like to plug? How would I like to plug? Um, it's a, well, you know what you would like to plug? I would like to plug GitHub. <laughs> So, because yeah, right, so if we're gonna, if we're gonna talk about tools, I, I would say one of the things that uh, actually helped me learn a lot was I would troll around GitHub a lot, just like looking for ideas. One of the things I would, um, you know, whenever I ran into something that I I didn't want to do myself, like parsing Nmap. Yeah, you know, say I, I want uh, to learn. You know, I have a giant Nmap, you know, uh, file. I have a bunch of output from MMAP and I want to parse it and I would like it formatted into a certain table or I just want to know what hosts have these services open. And yeah, I mean, you could use awk, you could use grep, you could do a bunch of different ways. But, you know, I got one thinking one day, like I have some time. Can I script out like a Python parser, you know, for, for MMAP? And, you know, rather than reinventing the wheel, I went to GitHub and I searched for like parse NMAP, NMAP parser, and just kind of put in different search terms and you get back a ton of results uh, I mean, with people doing wildly different things. And when, you, when you're like me in that situation, you have no idea which is the right way or which one actually even works. It's kind of fascinating just to see how different people came to totally different conclusions for what would seem to be the same problem. They wanted to parse Nmap, and they came up with totally different ways of parsing that Nmap. Some of them automated just, they took the greppable form, you know, form, uh, uh, the grepple output from Nmap, and they're just basically grepping it with Python, but they've automated it. 
And some people are taking the XML and they're using XML parsers. Some people are importing third-party NMAP parsing libraries that exist, and they're using that. And so you, suddenly you have all these options you didn't know existed because you're seeing how other people have done them. Um, there's actually a, a tool that I've been working on for quite some time that um, I, I presented on at Sector 2016, but uh, I, I've since changed the name from Viper to, to Odin. And that recently I, I'm working on uh, a version that I haven't even kicked up to GitHub yet. Uh, but over the weekend, I transitioned from using sort of like some spreadsheets for output uh, to actually using a SQLite uh, database, which has been awesome. Like it's way more efficient. I can organize things better. I can use SQL queries to pull specific information. I love it. It's an awesome change, I think, for the tool. Um, and I learned about that because I was using another tool actually for password analysis, uh, you know, from like a password cracking, you know, and analyzing like, oh, password length and common word, base words and all that kind of stuff. And there was a problem with it. And I went in to troubleshoot that problem to go kind of loop things back around. I was like, all right, what's wrong with this? Why am I not getting the correct output? It's telling me there's only this many members in this group. When there should be 18, it's telling me there's five. Why is it getting the wrong number? And I went back in, I tracked down where it was getting that number from. And I saw it was using a SQL query. And I was like, what on earth? Why is there a SQL query in this Python script? And I went back around. And sure enough, it was importing a SQLite library that I didn't actually know existed. And it was creating a SQLite database in memory. Using that as an in-memory database, it would do the queries and output uh, the report and then destroy the database. And that was amazing because nowhere in the documentation does it tell you it's ever creating a database. Like in theory, I could tell it to save that database to a file before it was destroyed. I could tweak that script if I wanted to keep the database around. Uh, but what I took away from that was like, I want to use this in a script. And I had that idea uh, to include it in this script, uh, in this tool, and it's been awesome. And that's just how I how I know how I learn things is often from GitHub, from source code on tools that I, I find on GitHub or that I hear about. Uh, if someone talks about a, a new tool uh, that you know they think is cool or solves some sort of problem for them, I often go to GitHub. Uh, I'll I'll check it out. I'll kind of bookmark it to actually maybe try using it later. But then I'll I'll go through the source code and see what it's doing uh, and see if it has any neat, interesting ideas. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, but I know that wasn't the kind of plug you're talking about. So, <laughs> but github.com is pretty awesome. Yeah. But speaking of github.com, I will plug that tool Odin. Uh, so if you are interested in building your own tools, uh, you can find me as just Chris Madalina. Uh, it's my first and last name there on GitHub. Uh, that's my profile. And, uh, I do have a number of tools on there. Like I said, I, I, I did have Cooper on there. Um, if you're just curious on, you know, kind of looking at really how that tool evolved, uh, you know, uh, that's there to go through that whole like commit history if you're interested. Uh, but mainly I, I do put some other scripts and, and things up there uh, and Odin is up there. It is under the repo called Viper. Uh, and that's actually an, an active development. I've been looking for people to check it out. So one thing, if you are interested in developing your own tools, and or maybe you're actually to the point where you would be interested in putting in like pull requests or adding, you know, con contributing to projects. Uh, one of the things I always tell people, and so I'll, I'll say it here, is that if you are interested, but you're afraid, you don't want someone to get angry with you on GitHub or, you know, someone on the you know, Internet is going to leave you a nasty comment because they don't like your code or, or things like that. I welcome you to you can contribute to my projects. Many of them catch, you know, catch your interests and you want to check them out and you have an idea uh, by all means. You know, 
submit that code or, you know, or just leave me an issue enhancement uh, to ask me questions about, you know, about the project or an error you're seeing. Uh, and I, I, I try to be pretty responsive on there. Um, I'm usually on GitHub every day. Uh, so I'll see the little notification that someone is like, has an alert for me. And so I usually try to get back to people uh, pretty quickly, although it is pretty, uh, pretty crazy right now with the holidays and uh, quarter four, but uh, welcome people to come check out those projects and contribute if, if they, if they want to get their hands a little bit dirty with uh, either like PowerShell or, or Python. No, that's good. I think that's awesome that uh, you offered to, you know, let people come out and try messing with your code. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it yeah. It, uh, I, most of the projects that I see on GitHub are pretty receptive if they've put them out there for the community to find. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like they're, they are pretty receptive. Uh, to, you know, people trying to contribute code or ask questions. Uh, I know, you know, the unfortunate thing is I know some of the bigger projects, uh, it, it can be really tough. Like I, I talked to uh, Jordan Wright uh, pretty frequently, the, the creator of GoFish. And I mean, that's a tool I love. I, I use pretty frequently. And I do not know how he keeps up with GitHub. I, <laughs> I, <clears throat> it's like a second job for him. It's gotta be because I, I, I follow that project and I get so many alerts for new comments, new pull requests, uh, issues, uh, you know, complaints. And I mean, he's, he's, he's awesome. He's an awesome guy. He responds to all of them. I've never seen him be anything but nice, but it definitely, I, I think can, uh, can start to get to some people and, you know, you can start to get comments that are maybe a little bit snippy. And I think people see those and they sort of think, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to upset that person, uh, or, or whatever, and so they don't get involved. Uh, and similarly, they don't put their own code out there because they're afraid someone's going to leave them a nasty, you know, GitHub comment. And I think that's totally understandable. Uh, but I think it's also the number one thing keeping people from sharing the work they have. Because uh, actually, there was, <clears throat> I think it was on Risky Business, and this would be a whole other thing. I, but real quick, I, I know there was a someone recently they interviewed on there. I forget the exact uh, interview topic, but it had come up that. Uh, that was one of the things that the interviewee was, was mentioning was that she was, had been looking at like master students and like PhD candidates that were making tools or interesting things just kind of in the IT or computer science field. And they were keeping them on like private GitHub repos because they were really cool tools and people would probably love to mess around with them and check them out, but they were afraid of like putting their work out there and being critiqued. And so they were keeping them private and how she was trying to encourage them. It's like, no, please put that stuff out on GitHub. Please get involved. If you have something cool and unique, put it out there. I mean, worst case scenario is, isn't probably even a nasty comment. It's probably just no one does anything with it, <laughs> which no one's going to do anything with it anyways if you keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I try to you know encourage people just to, at the very least, open up a GitHub account and put stuff out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, if... Someone, you know, the nice thing is, is that it's your repo and it's your code. So if someone does come along, say something nasty and say, you should really do it this way. And they're a jerk about it or you disagree. You don't have to do anything with it. You can just close that issue and it goes away. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would say, you know, try not to let that deter you from getting involved in projects and submitting your ideas. Uh, if you, if you have a good one and you know, you want to, you want to share something or just try to be involved and learn. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I I even have one, but I, I don't add as much to it as I'd like to. But I do have like a couple PowerShell scripts, and 
before Overwatch actually added random uh, mystery heroes, I actually oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to get better with like Node and uh, some of that stuff, and so like I built like a Node script that randomized selecting characters so that I would pretty much select my character <laughs> before I started a match <laughs> based on that. Um, that and that was like a Node app, like I guess you could call it an application, but it was you know it was a tool or whatever that I could just hit like a button and it would randomize everything for me so yeah so i mean yeah just just build something that, that's always those are always cool options too like even if you're in the security field or whatever you do for a living like if you don't have to find something at work right. uh you know then even then in your spare time now you feel, might feel like you're working because right. you're trying to tweak this script that does a report that you don't even really want to look at anymore uh you know except for you know the next morning you know you want to get away from that yeah, you can definitely write a Python script that just does something fun. It picks your Overwatch character for you, you know, uh, you know, picks your it randomly decides which of the three cards you'll pick in your arena draft in Hearthstone or you know whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can totally do that. Like those are really simple too. Like you said, I mean, that's you give it a list of the characters and it's just going to randomly select it. Like that would actually be a really easy just script to write. And then yeah, if you want to take it to the next level, you can write it in Node and kind of make it like a little application where there's a button you click or whatever. Yeah, you can always keep building onto it and learning. Yeah, yeah, that, that was probably the hardest thing for me was coming up with an idea of, of something to do. But um, eventually I, I, I did, and I probably could have just dove into, I don't know, something else. Like I got a white elephant party coming up, and I'm like, mm, I need to do order before we actually get to the party. Um, just because we only have so much time. And I'm like, ooh, I could take that script and just adjust it to, you know, the people that are supposed to be there. Or I, or I can just assign them all Overwatch names and just be really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, well, Chris, thank you for joining me to discuss how to build your own tool. Yeah, it's fun. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at Timothy D. Block. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.